Before we get into the episode, a quick reminder that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and nothing should be construed as investment or legal advice. Now for a word from OnRamp. OnRamp is a Bitcoin asset management platform built on multi-institution custody. Leveraging our partnerships with industry veterans BitGo and CoinCover, OnRamp's multi-institution custody is a segregated vault, requiring two of three institutions at any point in time to sign once a client's unique permissions have been met. Our industry-leading best-in-class approach to custody helps individuals and institutions secure new and existing Bitcoin positions. All keys are held in deep cold storage and kept 100% offline, managed with institutional-grade security best practices. The custody solution eliminates single points of failure and reduces counterparty risks, ensuring maximum security and peace of mind. OnRamp's suite of products includes our custody offering, a spot Bitcoin fund, private wealth services and inheritance planning, and managed wealth for advisors. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or a veteran in the space, we would love to connect with you to understand your needs and how we can serve you. Please visit our website at onrampbitcoin.com where you can schedule a consultation and connect directly with our team. What you're telling me is that music is about to stop and we're going to be left holding the biggest bag of odorous excrement ever assembled in the history of Dust. 1974, 1987, 92, 97, 2000, whatever we want to call this. It's all just the same thing over and over. We can't help ourselves. I say when we sell. Well, we're live now. We've got 37 minutes. ETF launch day. We're joined by Alex Thorne from Galaxy Digital. Yeah, sorry for uh, being late. Um, Having some technical difficulties with this Macintosh computer. Are they called Macintoshes? I think originally they were, but they're just called Macs now. The nomenclature is Mac. Yep. Yep. Alex is a scarce asset. He's been busy this morning. This is your second yeah. or third uh, recording. I've been to and I got to head over to PubKey in a little bit to do another oh, one. So, God, I, know. I, wanna, I, wanna go I love PubKey. <laughs> it looked fun last night. Were you there last night? I was there briefly. Yeah, but um, we were uh, we were celebrating a little bit. Uh, you know, right right around market close. So I, it was an early night for me. We'll say that. Yeah. If you haven't been to PubKey in New York City and you're listening, you got to get there. Make the pilgrimage. It's worth. Yeah, it. big change. So this summer, how are we feeling today? I, I'm feeling great. I think um, these things are are moving. I'm seeing pretty big volume in the scheme of things here. Um, I mean, grayscale with the the highest volume, but uh, I think we know you know most of which direction that's probably going. But um, a lot of success out of the gate. It looks like I'm seeing tight spreads. The um, the last number I said was one point seven billion in volume in the first hour. So we're two hours in now. Have to yeah, I have, higher than that. I got to update my uh, Bloomberg worksheet here. I'm looking at share count, so I'd have to do some some quick tabulation. But I I think that I think we're probably over two now. Well, it's been a it's been a long run, Alex. I feel like uh, out of the group here, you've been uh, around closest to the the hoop when it comes to financial services. Uh, fun fact, me and Alex connected years ago. So it's a long game in this space. Uh, I think 2018 or 19, I was at the yeah. block selling into Fidelity when he was there on the enterprise stuff. And curious on like what's going on, you know, with your former colleagues at Fidelity right now at, at uh, Galaxy. Like what's the sentiment? People excited? What's going on? 
yeah, I think people are very excited. Obviously, it's been a long time in the making. I think um, I'm seeing Fidelity is doing quite well as well. Keep in mind, they have their own giant distribution uh, platform, right? I mean, they have 30 plus million brokerage accounts. They're the largest 401k provider in the United States. So they they have a, a and, and of course, they're self-custodying their, their Bitcoin, right? Because they have Fidelity Digital Assets, their own uh, regulated spot Bitcoin custodian. So um, yeah, I think they're quite excited. I know we're very excited. I mean, Galaxy and Invesco filed in 21 and were rejected along with everyone else. So it's been a long time in the making here. I think, you know, from when you think about the the sort of the, the Bitcoin brokerage and expertise uh, smashing into the traditional finance, um, there's a couple that stand out. Fidelity's obviously one. Um, Invesco's the second largest issuer that has a Bitcoin ETF, right? They're the fourth largest ETF issuer in the world. Um, and, and of course, Galaxy has been a, a Bitcoin company for a long time, and, and I hope it remains one. So, and then you, I would say ARK and 21 shares, right, is another combo of sort of crypto native and, and traditional. Um, but it, I think it matters a lot. I mean, there's, there's some real, uh, it's tricky to do this, actually. And, um, you know, Galaxy is in, a, is in a pretty unique position. We actually already operate these in two other countries. So um, whereas I think only 21 shares is the only other firm that actually has experience running a crypto native ETP. So um, look, we're excited. I think there's fast, we can finally move on. You know, I'm not, we're not moving on, but we can move on from the endless months of discussion of, you know, T read leaving on, on T leave reading on the, uh, ETF announcement and such. So um, I think people are just excited to get down into the actual race among the issuers. It's going to be interesting what happens to Bitcoin itself, right? I mean, I think you're going to see significant changes in the Bitcoin brokerage space, right? People buying and selling spot Bitcoin. I'll obviously personally always buy Bitcoin. Um, I use River personally, but there's plenty of, of good places to buy Bitcoin and I'll be storing it on my uh, myself, um, and, and I have a, I have a powerful multi-sig setup. I don't want to shill too hard or give too many details on, but, um, there's good reason to own the ETFs also. And I think you'll start to see, um, you know, multi-custodial models emerge. I think I'm hoping, um, that the SEC will eventually allow shareholders to take physical delivery of the underlying. Obviously that's a huge, you know, limiting factor. If you're bullish Bitcoin, uh, with the, vehicles today it'll be a problem too for 401k providers that decide to offer bitcoin exposure because if you're long-term right on on this thesis you don't want to get to the end of the road you know i'm 37 if i'm going to retire at 67 i want to put bitcoin in my 401k and then take it out at 67 um i don't want dollars if, if we're right you're going to want the bitcoin you know so more to come on on these products i think they they, they will evolve further um but for now, I think it's just, you know, it's it's going to be good for Bitcoin spot markets as well. It will create significantly more liquidity, I think, over time. So it's going to be interesting. You're going to have a fracture. We already have one between investors and Bitcoin network users, but that gulf is going to widen. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see the custody landscape evolve. I think it's three right now for the ETFs between um, Fidelity, Bit, BitGo with one, and then Coinbase with the rest. And to see yeah, it's there as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point there about like the physical delivery, I think on that issue, I think it's just going to be forced at some point. Yeah. For, especially 30 years down the line. It's going to be, I'm not taking dollars. 
yeah, the right. I don't demand. If you're right about Bitcoin becoming like global money, you don't want to end up with like, selling into you know a hyper inflating fiat currency. That doesn't make any sense. That's no. ridiculous. No. And I, I guess I mean we just had a discussion with uh, Larry Lapard and David Foley about this. I mean we can rehash it today, especially since this episode is going to go out immediately. Like, do you view this as a pivotal inflection point in Bitcoin's history? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, this is Bitcoin on every screen, on every in every account, right? I think this is a pivotal moment. Um, Bitcoin's had many pivotal moments, right? I mean, certainly nation state adopting it was a pivotal moment. Um, you know, we don't have to name them all. Hal receiving the first transactions, probably the second, you know, after the Genesis block. There have been many milestones. I think in terms of global adoption, this, this is a major, major one, truly. And um, honestly, I don't think Bitcoin or traditional finance will ever be the same after this. How do we reconcile 15 years to the date from how running uh, running Bitcoin, the ETF gets approved? <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's really it's 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 poetic. I mean, luckily, anything that happens in early January is always going to line up with one of these big days, whether it's the Genesis block or the first transaction or the or or Hal's tweet or whatever, right? I mean, that's the first tweet about Bitcoin basically ever. Um and. I think it's very poetic. I mean, Hal, it, it also goes back. I mean, I, I cannot help but keep reading Hal's post on Bitcoin banks, right? Now, he's talking about something a little different than certainly ETFs. I saw somebody say that liquid was what Hal was talking about. That's also not true. If you read the post, he's really talking about literal banks for, in a free banking era issuing their own paper that's backed by Bitcoin. But the, the, the question remains, right? What is the place for um, institutions in something that is inherently a peer to peer network. And, and that the answer to that continues to evolve. And, um, I'm of the view that if Bitcoin is wildly successful, it needs to be, and will be available everywhere, right? It'll be in every FinTech app. It'll be at every bank account. It'll be in every brokerage account. It'll be in your self custody. It'll be everywhere, right? In hot wallets, cold wallets, banks, like, and so I, I don't know what that means long-term for Bitcoin, the network. Um, it's, going to mean something. I think um, it only becomes more pivotal that Bitcoin stays secure and um, and and developers stay supported. And I don't know, it's going to impact Bitcoin culture. And so it's going to be, which is always evolving. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I can't, I can't help but, again, I encourage everybody to go into Bitcoin Talk or find someone to send you a, a screenshot of Hal's famous Bitcoin Banks post, which he wrote very early in the history of Bitcoin. And um, and we're, we're we're making progress. December 2010. I believe it was December 30th, 2010, right before the new year. You wrote that post. Right mind. I love it. And it's extremely prescient. Whether it's liquid, Xiaomi Immense, or right. banks, I think it is materializing. And, I, and it was crazy how prescient Hal was less than two yeah. years into the protocol launching, recognizing that this network specifically at the protocol level would have scaling limitations and you would have to have this proliferation of uh, layers above it and a more private banking enterprise on top of it leveraging bitcoin as a reserve asset and I, I yeah that think, one that one gonna, hit a little talk, different sorry i was gonna say the what alex is referring to i don't know logan if it's if it's up but um or if you have it but it hit a little different because i've read it a few times but when it got posted the other day because what we're describing, whether it's chumming mints, Fetty mint, I guess Fetty mints would be that, that um, liquid, what we're doing at on-ramp, it's all effectively the same thing. It's multi-sig controlling Bitcoin. You have 
uh, transparency and knowing where the Bitcoin sits. So you always have that auditability. And at the end of the day, to the main point, which we talk about a lot, is this free banking idea of that you, it's reputation based and you can take delivery of the asset to keep everybody honest. Just hasn't naturally uh, hasn't happened, and that's kind of where gold kind of fell off. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the next decade plays out, especially as people get educated, and that's what they demand from like their custodial relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's crazy. I'm on Bitcoin talk right now on Hal's account and you can, he actually talked about banks a lot. It's amazing. Um, I put it in there, Logan. Oh, wow. I got the date exactly right from memory. That feels good. That's nice. Yeah. Actually, and there's a very good reason for Bitcoin backed banks to exist, issuing their own digital ca cash currency redeemable for Bitcoins. Bitcoin itself cannot scale to have every single financial tra transaction in the world to be broadcast to everyone and included in the blockchain. There needs to be a secondary level of payment systems, which is lighter weight and more efficient. Likewise, the time needed for Bitcoin transactions to finalize will be impractical for medium to large value purchases. I won't read the rest, but that's the first paragraph. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this, this goes back to like, it's a settlement layer. Bitcoin created a digital settlement layer and that solves that sounds solves the very foundation of finance, but you need to have all of your like usable interfaces built on top of that settlement layer. And so, Hal was, in my opinion, just recognizing reality that finite block space, ten minute block times. You you need some solution above that, and Lightning solves a, a large part of that. But but having having a free banking sort of model where people are com companies are competing to be your home for your Bitcoin financial life. Um, of, of course makes sense. It's, it's just the rediscovery of, of free market capitalism in banking after, you know, several centuries of it becoming increasingly less free market. Yeah. I think it's like, individuals that have looked at Bitcoin for a while, it's generally thought like we're going to uh, recreate the wheel. And if you look more and more, it's just we're just repurposing uh, it. We're looking at the existing market yeah. structure and we realize that there were certain flaws or, um, you know, holes in the mechanics. And so I think it starts to look a lot more like the existing world with just checks and balances, which is effectively like existed for a reason. There just need to be a better unit to measure it all by. Well, not even yeah. a better unit. It's just you change the incentives where there's no lender of last resort. So the banks are forced via economic incentives to actually run a good business and not uh, well, fractionally reserve to an extent that um, their their users can't get their money at the end of the day. I mean, the, I mean, the unit in the sense of like I, I joke around and I kind of don't joke around. It's like the difference between gold and Bitcoin is multi-sig. Like that unit and the programmatic ability to like have it segregated within different entities is what will keep us from doing what, in my opinion, what happened with gold where it's centralized and you ended up too many paper claims on the, the unit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it comes down to, to what we, you, you either want Bitcoin to be or think Bitcoin will be. I mean, if, if everything ends up in, uh, let's say a centralized, a, a layer of centralized intermediaries like banks or like ETFs or, or whatever, right. Then, it, it, it probably does mean Bitcoin is not no longer going to be used for unstoppable payments, right? But even in, which I don't like, right? I don't want that to happen. I don't think anyone does. That's why we need also proliferation of truly decentralized layers that we can do Bitcoin with. But I would say that even in that world, uh, you could still take on the dollar, right? It can still become the world's reserve asset. It may not be used for payments, but it can like because Bitcoin is doing multiple things, right? It's simultaneously challenging the 
never-ending inflating fiat money supply. That can still work if it's Bitcoin banks that are the primary uh, holders yeah. and users of it, right? That can still win. Um, but if you want it to be for unstoppable payments as well, then then we need something more, right? It can't only be that. And luckily, there's a lot of people working on that stuff. So it absolutely is unstoppable payments and a store of value today that can't be inflated. But, um, you know, the, 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 there's the forks, forks in the road in the future will, will lead us down different directions. And I want it all. Right. I, I want to I want I want both. I want everything. So um, I'm very supportive of people using Bitcoin uh, for payments and for and, and in, a, in a non custodial self custodial way. I think that's the obvious core of how Bitcoin should be used and will be used. Um, I don't think that the ETFs, for example, challenge that. I just think that um, they grow the base of users. And that's why I say I think it's so important. I hope that eventually these ETFs will allow physical delivery because then then you're, you're you know, first of all, that reduces significantly the the, um, you know, the trade off that you're making by owning the ETF and not the physical underlying. <laughs> I love calling Bitcoin spot physical. I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> right. Because you'd be able to get it out theoretically, right? And and right now you, you can't, right? So if you own this ETF, you can't send the shares like like it's money over the Bitcoin network. So it's not for payment, th those vehicles. And you can't get the Bitcoin itself out. So all you can do is just rely on, you know, the DTCC and your brokerage and, and the issuer, right? To, to honor its value and, and, and operate it well. And luckily there are very trustworthy issuers here. And you know, I trust personally that stocks that I own at, at Fidelity are, are actually being held there <laughs> or whatever. Right. But we shouldn't have to trust. So um, I'd love to see them evolve uh, and, and offer that physical delivery one day. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in exploring any of these topics further or want to learn more about how we can help you secure a new or existing Bitcoin allocation, get in touch with our team at onrampbitcoin.com. We look forward to supporting you on your Bitcoin journey. Alex, the uh, the mental model I, I have right now, uh, at least for the uh, for these ETFs, is that that classic Trojan horse meme, um, you know, of uh, of of bringing bringing into the citadel of of mainstream America, Wall Street is introducing these wonderful Bitcoin ETFs, and you know, I I can't help but feel that as people you know, invest a little bit into these Bitcoin ETFs, they learn a little bit more about Bitcoin. They start to value the properties of actual Bitcoin, um, and and want that as you know maybe in addition to their allocation in in the ETF, uh, and then you know what's inside the Trojan horse is Bitcoin adoption uh, because people are learning about Bitcoin and and, and flipping the, the the script entirely where we've had 15 years of just kind of baseless FUD floating around in the media, and now there's going to be Wall Street singing the praises of Bitcoin as an asset and people coming around to its its properties as, as being desirable. And some of those are attained through the ETF, but some of those, you know, especially if you can't redeem in kind, um, live outside of the ETF. Uh, any thoughts on, on your perspective on is that part of how this plays out or your thoughts around that? Yeah, um, I think it I think it's going to play out it's going to be tricky. I mean, I, um, I, I really just want to see, um, the ETFs be, I want to see the education materials that everyone's going to be putting out on this. I mean, we've got a bunch together. You can go, um, somewhere I forget on Invesco's website. I'm in some fancy videos explaining how Bitcoin works. 
Um, I hope that it leads to real Bitcoin usage and not just ownership. Um, I can't see how it would decline it. So I, I think we'll, we'll see marginal increased understanding in Bitcoin um, broadly. And I think that can only help. And I agree. I mean, the Trojan horse meme is perfect here. It's, you know, come, come buy this asset, but actually it's, you know, learn about Bitcoin, spread the, spread the Bitcoin story, right? We've now deputized the world's largest asset managers to, to tell that story. Yep. There it is. Yeah, it's it's pretty unreal. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're now, I, I, I think for me, the demarcation point is, yeah, Bitcoin's gone public today. Um, but really what's different is that now TradFi is going to sing the praises of Bitcoin. And that, that creates this pretty strong demarcation in the history of Bitcoin, where the mainstream goes from 15 years of just general Bitcoin is bad to now, you know, in, now and into the future, TradFi having an incentive to educate and to praise Bitcoin, to, to, to inform the public about why this is actually a really cool asset that you should consider including in your portfolio. And I think that's the, the true demarcation here. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the fact that the, these things are trading now is, is great. But the psychology is going to be night and day from the last that's 15 right. years to the future. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's that's where this goes. And I think, um, look, it's getting easier to buy real Bitcoin also, right? I mean, I mentioned that I use River personally, but I mean, you can buy Bitcoin on Fidelity.com as well, right? And and you will be able to get it everywhere soon. I, I'll be shocked if you eventually can't just buy spot everywhere. I don't think the ETF, like, it might slow down some brokerage that's on the uh cusp of deciding but again like don't tell me that if you have one of the world's most popular best performing assets and it's natively digital that every digital platform is not going to eventually offer it um so i i and i think also like you're gonna learn people are going to learn how to use it that don't already know there will be at least some net new marginal bitcoin user base growth from the etf ownership and we already know i mean guys you we were all around and like <laughs> nobody only the tourists that would buy the etf anyway left we net stacked bitcoiners through all the bear markets that's exactly right i think it's just a different segment where we have precedent for this with like um you know very different segment but like cash app and just making it easy for somebody to buy but some people just left their bitcoin there maybe they bought a small allocation but there's a lot of people that learned bought the Bitcoin, took it off into self-custody, and then also looked at larger allocations post that initial like taste to understand what's happening and then where to go, you know, buy and size. Um, but Alex, your point about everybody's going to offer it, that like is an interesting, um, brings an interesting dynamic with the authorized participants in Goldman and JPMC in particular. And um, is it the SAB 121 rule with the banks not being able to custody? Like, how do you, do you have any inkling into like where banks start to play into this and, and is it like do we think it's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months or is that still further out where banks being able to custody um, yeah, the asset to participate it's tricky yeah sab 121 requires um actually not just banks i believe public companies to carry yep. bitcoin on their on their balance sheets um which is crazy right because like you know bank like take like state street which is i think the largest custodial bank in the world right but or bny right which is also a large one like they the assets that they hold belong to the clients right so you you don't hold they don't hold you know trillion dollars of assets as if they were theirs right in a bankruptcy those are remote right they're they're held they're owned by the clients it's a their trusts right so um and that's how 
custody should work for everything, right? You're not, you're not giving it over, you know, your, your life savings, or if you're a company, your foreign currency or whatever to a bank and saying, yeah, actually, you know what, like just promise to give it back. It's legally segregated on the balance sheet and, 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 you know, actually, right. So SAB 121 makes it impossible for banks to hold it because like, let's say you put Okay, maybe if it's one million dollars, the bank can put you know count that as their own asset, sure. But if if let's say it's twenty eleven and that one million becomes you know ten billion over the next five years, you, you, they've got to segregate capital out to match that. They're not going to do it, and it's why they don't do it. It's why even though BNY Mellon um, has Bitcoin custody, they have they self describe their uh, custody assets there as de minimis because they because they don't they, they're not really operating yet. Um, I think that is what that's coming under congressional re review. Um, I think, you know, with a change of leadership at the SEC and or at the OCC and the banking regulators, you'll see a change there. But capital requirements make it hard for banks today, which is, again, stupid. Right? <laughs> like, right. Wouldn't you want people to be able to store their Bitcoin in the safest, quote unquote, place there is like. I don't understand the move from a regulatory standpoint. It seems backwards. It's very similar to like not having any regulated products in the US and, and effectively pushing people into offshore exchanges, which is what happened for so long. Um, I, it should change. I don't know if it will change uh, within you know this year, but um, you know I think we know that uh, banks and others would like it to change. Yeah, when you consider the liquidity profile of Bitcoin, it doesn't make any sense. It's, you can liquidate this immediately if you need to. Um, but with that being said, let's talk about the landscape of these ETFs. Obviously 11 approved, 11 launched today. I actually caught CNBC, I caught Novo this morning explaining why you guys have done yeah. so good historically in Canada and Germany. It's because the, um, the way you guys track spot is very, very good. I believe you said something like around 1% slippage in the spot price too the underlying shares of your ETPs historically. So how do you see this playing out with 11 ETFs? Obviously it's probably going to be a Pareto distribution where if you take yeah. a, a line share of the market, how does this play out? How long does it take to play out in your mind? Yeah, I think it's probably, if we fast forward a year, I think you probably have one or two big ones. And then, you know, theoretically like each one down on the list is half the one above it. So, um, you know, obviously, they're a real tricky one to think about is Grayscale. Um, they are already very large, right? But you'd imagine with their fee and 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 whatnot that they'll see outflows. Um, I, I think of it primarily as a as a Grayscale versus BlackRock, Invesco, and Fidelity game at the at, at true scale, um, just because you know BlackRock's the largest asset manager, but also the largest ETF issuer in the world. Invesco is the fourth largest uh, with and even when you think about Fidelity, Invesco has 10 times the assets under management in ETFs than Fidelity does, right? So Fidelity is like 13 on the list, right? Wisdom Tree and Van Eck are bigger than Fidelity in ETFs. Um, but it's going to be a bit longer of a game. I mean, there are some that, you know, even like when we look today, what, 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 wherever we end up having closed in this horse race, like, I don't think any of the advisor platforms are turned on yet, right? And there are issuers that have significant advantages there, like BlackRock and Invesco, which are deeply connected in the advisor community, right? So I, I think I've always viewed the ETF as primarily a product for advisors. Um, obviously, it's for anyone, any retail can buy the ETFs. But, you know, 
this is the first asset in history that retails had access to before institutions, right? We've all we've all been buying Bitcoin already, right? We have plenty of places to buy spot Bitcoin. Um, so I view the net new um, like market for the ETFs primarily being wealth management. And that's a $48 trillion market in the US alone in terms of their AUM. So, and those aren't on today. As far as I know, none of them have turned it on yet. We're talking about, you know, the Morgan Stanleys, the Merrill Lynch's, et cetera, the, where, where advisors are affiliated with banks and broker dealers. Those are, that's a huge pile of assets that should now gain access. Um, so, you know, there's a couple games here, right? I mean, I think day one flows matter, day seven day flows matter, three months, six months, a year. It's, it's It could look different. I don't think you're going to see 11 a year from now with meaningful assets under management, but there'll, there'll be a couple, and I think there'll be a few big ones. I think um, we just sort of have to wait and see. There is more to it. These are not all created equal, right? I mean, I know, again, I, I talk about wanting to see a multi-custodial uh, model. I think it's clear that the, the issuers primarily decided that Coinbase was the fastest way to approval, probably because they're a public company. I don't know. They're also, I'm willing to bet, are good at Bitcoin custody, right? There's there's never been a, at least a publicized like theft or anything from Coinbase custody that I'm aware of. Um, but it's not just that, right? It's it's where and how you execute, who your authorized participants are, how many liquidity providers you have. Right. There's a lot more that goes into managing these vehicles than simply buy Bitcoin and, and you know, store it somewhere. So um, I, I think that obviously Invesco uh, has advantages here. We're the only ones, our, our fund, which with which really their fund, we're a partner of theirs um, that doesn't use Coinbase Prime as an execution venue. Right. So we because Galaxy is the execution agent. And of course, we're one of the biggest Bitcoin trading firms in the world. So there, look, there's a variety. Yeah, you got to look at things like liquidity and bid ask spread and, and tracking uh, quality, right? There's a, but we, we need some time. I know the horse race has just begun, but we need a couple days and a couple weeks uh, to really start to see how these things are performing and, um, and who's doing a good job and who, who's doing less of a good job. So um, just, it, it's honestly more to come. I know, making fun of Eric and James at Bloomberg, like they're, they're, they've got so many demands for like real time. Like, I mean, people, I mean, they just need to launch like a cable news show and call it like a sports game at this point. That's what people want. <laughs> it's going to take a little while, I think, for it to play out. Yeah. And another question I have is, do you think the unit bias comes into play in terms of the way the shares are uh, denominated? Because I believe, I think, BlackRock's just yeah, dividing the price by 2000. Yeah, it's a good question. It looks to me, and I don't have all the, I'm looking at the the sort of slate here. Most of them, again, are trading at like the 40 or $50 range. So again, I'm making just, I don't have the all the prospectuses up in front of me, but but yeah, I see BlackRock is trading at 2650 right now. So presumably they have smaller uh, units. I, I don't know, but I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference between them. Um, like, but it does matter the broader point, which I'm sure you guys have talked about in the past, the unit bias versus Bitcoin, right? It's that old question between like one BTC or a bit or a sat, like how should these, how should it be quoted, right? Because, you know, at 47K, that looks like a pretty expensive thing to buy, right? But at, you know, $26, which is BlackRock's is trading at or, you know, BTCO is trading at $46. Like that seems a lot more reasonable. Yeah. Right? I'll, I'll so I up a few Bitcoin for $26 yeah. a piece. Sure. Exactly. But that's going to be how people think about it. 
yeah, I think it's important. It's a similar reason as to why sometimes you see really valuable equities do a stock split for the same reason. It's it's also maybe the reason that like um, Berkshire Hathaway, it hasn't done one, right? And it's such an expensive equity, quote unquote, uh, just from the pure unit price. Um, maybe they like the sound of that, right? <laughs> like, I, who knows? I, I don't know, Marty. I, I, I think, you know, I think maybe. I think the main things that people care about are liquidity, spreads, fees. Um, that's the main. I think most people know. But um, look, again, like Fidelity out of the gate here, pretty strong with a lot of volume. Probably, again, they've got a giant platform, right? They can advertise on one of the biggest brokerages uh, platforms in the world for free because they own it. Yeah. It's been a crazy week. The the SEC Twitter account getting hacked. Truly the wild. Jumping of the gun by the CBOE yesterday morning, and then the eventual capitulation. Everything's a go, and then Gary writing a letter saying he, he doesn't he doesn't uh, advise the people invest. Yeah, this. he's not a fan. Yeah, he's and then, no, they're, they're asset neutral. But then he proceeded to shit on Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it's strange. It's just been a strange. It, strange and then you had hester pierce counter signaling them on the sec website as well it's been bitcoin drives people crazy <laughs> yeah i mean they couldn't even like do i mean i guess look i guess it was a pretty unique situation with 11 issuers and a new asset class quote unquote right like okay was, all right it was different i'll give them that but like yeah it drives people crazy it drove the process crazy I mean, and they had to be sued in order to even do it which is also crazy like they shouldn't have had to be rebuked by the DC Circuit Court of Appeals to the extent they were, which was significant, a significant uh, rebuttal from that court. That shouldn't have had to happen, right? None of this should have, <laughs> should, shouldn't have had to be this way. You shouldn't have had the, you shouldn't have to have had the chair of the SEC approve, you know, voting to approve uh, a bunch of products and simultaneously disparaging their underlying uh, collateral. Like that's, it's just bizarre. That shouldn't have to be that way. But while yeah, having, like, taught, while having taught a class about it uh, at MIT just a few years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, what? what? Well, it does, it does beg the question, what's going on behind the scenes? I mean, I saw a meme this morning of Gary Gensler talking to uh, Elizabeth Warren. She's like, what happened, Gary? He's like, I don't know. There's nothing I could do. We had to, <laughs> we had to launch it. Yeah, they I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not going to describe it, but there was a Beeple, uh, one of his, you know, he does a, a, a thing every day. He had a good one yesterday. It's worth checking out. <laughs> <laughs> then all the naysayers, he had better markets come out with a letter. Uh, I mean, they've been writing suggestion letters yeah. to the SEC, don't approve this, don't approve this. Now they're like, oh, you guys are enabling crime. Obviously, we have the Alex DeVeres of the world who've been opining against Bitcoin mining energy use for the better part of the last half decade. We've got Greenpeace, a lot of detractors out there um, that are <laughs> going to have to eat crow in the, yeah. the months and years ahead. It just, it doesn't seem, I don't, it, it is strange to me that people that have defined their public personas as being opposed to Bitcoin. There's that guy, the Stephen Deal. Um, uh, even yeah, like, he's the worst. I, I don't know. He blocked me a long time ago because I, I asked, like, I mean, I genuinely was like, are you okay, dude? Because this is pretty <laughs> on something he said it's just again like to imagine defining your your life by being opposed to something especially something that like it doesn't care about you bitcoin never replies to your tweet you know like i don't know who you're like it's just a strange thing you know these people who are so professionally anti-bitcoin um 
I don't understand why. Um, we, you know, we hear some things. They try to come up with reasons. The the Bitcoin usage of electricity is one, or or its use in illicit finance. But these are these are small. Even if you believe they're real, they're tiny, right? Like they they have to str- find some real world externality that Bitcoin is causing because otherwise they just look crazy. Why don't you let people just use what they want? It's it's not impacting you in any way, right? And of course, we know that. We know that its use in illicit finance is paled in comparison by the dollars. We know that it's, and even take the thing with Hamas, those, first of all, that was all tether on Tron primarily that was seized by Israel, but it was seized. It was tracked and found, right? Like, like that's because it's not good for crime. It's, it's the blockchain is forever. Um, and I, we won't do the whole energy usage thing, but Bitcoin is, is supportive, not, um, to, not negative to, uh, the environment, in my opinion. Yeah, great. And, and invariably with all those uh, detractors, it turns out that they are salty because they had an opportunity to buy it in 2011 when they reported on it then, and they didn't. And, and now they've been forced to watch mm. all these shitty internet people get rich while they yeah. didn't. We, we yeah. used to call that the Nathaniel Popper syndrome. Like they couldn't buy it. <laughs> Was there was an article the other day in the, the, it was a guy um, Snarks is that his name? Uh, and somebody found tweets from him in 2013 having bought and sold Bitcoin. Yeah, like I get it. Like it's just it, it, you gotta guys. Let's let's just I don't know. Focus on positivity in your life. Unless, right? unless it's a, don't tweet against. Uh, unless it's Jim Cramer. Unless it's Jim Cramer. Like continue to hate it. It's cool. I'm just. Asking. Over, he's been up. He's been he's been for it. He's been against it. He was like, uh, he defined the flip flop on this asset, Jim Cramer. But you know, I I, I like the the folks at CNBC, uh, particularly Joe Kiernan. But that's a I think that I think we all like Joe. <laughs> yeah, nobody's more scorned than the individual who bought Bitcoin early and sold. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad syndrome. Alex, I know you've got something to do here in a minute. Thank you for joining us for an emergency rip of the last trade, big day. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, I know it's been a very long couple years for you and your team at Galaxy. Um, congrats on you guys getting this across the line, and it'll be fun to watch how this plays out over the next year. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Marty Cretius. Michael, thanks so much. Um, love, the, love the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Right. Thanks, Alex. Also, if you guys listen to this, go check out Galaxy Brains, uh, especially sure. if you're into good rap. Alex opens hey, up the show with a good rap. Good one this morning. Go listen to this one. We have JFK talking about going to the moon on the intro rap. It's pretty good. <laughs> go to the moon in this decade. Yes, and do the other things. And do the other, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. It's a great speech. All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. All right. See you, Alex. See you guys.